We've all heard stories of rags to riches, and even riches to rags. Spiritually, it is the story of ruin to riches and riches to ruin. Ezekiel recorded such a story that is a warning to all of us. It's in Ezekiel chapter 16. Will you turn with me to that passage? This chapter is by far the longest prophetic message in the book of Ezekiel. The longest single oracle in the Old Testament and the longest single analogy in the entire Bible. It's long, so we're going to have to move along to cover it. It starts with the birth of Jerusalem. Look at chapter 16, verse 1. Again, the word of the Lord came to me, saying, Son of man, cause Jerusalem to know her abominations. Now, uh, he's talking about the detestable practices of the people in Jerusalem, and he wants them to know them. So he says in verse 3, And say, thus saith the Lord to Jerusalem, Your birth and your nativity are from the land of Canaan. Your father was an Amorite and your mother a Hittite. Interesting way to start. He's going to go all the way back to the birth of the city of Jerusalem. Now, what he says is that you were born in the land of Canaan. And you were not established by the Israelites. You were not established by God. But your origin was in a land notorious for its depravity. You were, that city was established in Canaan that was notorious for its depravity. It was understandable that the Israelites would tend toward idolatry because Jerusalem's founders in the pre-patriarch days were pagans, not Hebrews. That's the point of verse 3. Then he says in verse 4, As for your nativity, on the day you were born, your navel cord was not cut, nor were you washed in water to cleanse you, and you were not rubbed with salt or wrapped in swaddling clothes. No I pitied you to do any of those things for you, to have compassion on you, but you were thrown out into the open field when you yourself were loathed on the day that you were born. What an image. Verse 3 talks about his birth, the city of Jerusalem's birth. And verse 4 talks about what happened just after you were born. The early beginning of Jerusalem was like an unwanted child. That is simply the point of verses 4 and 5. Normally, after a baby is born, the ambiblical cord is cut. In biblical times, the newborn was then washed to remove the blood and rubbed with salt to dry and firm the skin. Then the infant was wrapped in uh, warm clothes. But Jerusalem, as pictured as a baby, uh, didn't have these things done. Uh, 
No one looked on her with pity and had compassion enough to do these things for her. She was an unwarned, perhaps deformed child that was cast out at birth and left to die in the woods. Now, verse 6 talks about the growth of this child, Jerusalem. And when I passed by you and saw you struggling in your blood, I said to you in your blood, live. Yes, I said to you in your blood, live. As God noticed this struggling infant wallowing in its helplessness, he came to her aid. The life of the infant was hanging in the balance until God ordained its survival, saying, I will save you. I keep, we're, we're using this uh, imagery of Jerusalem as a baby. We're going to follow its growth. Look at verse 7. I made you thrive like a plant in the field, and you grew, matured, and became very beautiful. Your breasts were formed, your hair grew, and you were naked and bare. <laughs> what a vivid... I'm telling you, these Old Testament prophets just, that's the Lord talking, but they just record some of the most eloquent, picturesque language and literature. God enabled Jerusalem to thrive. Her inhabitants became numerous. He continues in verse 8. When I passed by you again and looked upon you, indeed your time was the time of love. So I spared I spread, I should say, my wing over you and covered your nakedness. Yes, I swore an oath to you and entered into a covenant with you, and you became mine, says the Lord God. I spread my wing over you. That Hebrew word actually means the corner of a garment. Uh, when she was mature, the Lord made a commitment to take care of her. Spreading his skirt over someone was a customary way of committing to Mary, which uh, is alluded to uh, as Jerusalem's capital and God's dwelling place. God is saying, you know, I, as you matured, I took care of you. And perhaps even with the imagery of I married you. Then I washed you in water, verse 9. I thoroughly washed off your blood. I anointed you with oil. The Lord prepared her for a special relationship with himself. He cleansed her. He anointed her. I clothed you with embroidered cloth and gave you sandals of badger skin. I clothed you with fine linen and covered you with silk. He, he, he clothed her with expensive clothing, including fine shoes. I adorn you with ornaments. I put bracelets on your wrist and chains on your neck. I put jewels in your nose, earrings in your ears, and a beautiful crown on your head. Now this is just describing the jewelry. He gave her jewelry to make her even more beautiful. A bracelet, a necklace, a ring, earrings, and a crown. Thus you were adorned with gold and silver, and your clothing was of fine linen, silk, and broaded cloth. You ate plenty of fine flour, honey, and oil. You were exceedingly beautiful and, ex and exceedingly 
to loyalty. She had the best jewelry and clothes. She also had the best food. In other words, the love of her husband knew no bounds. She became very beautiful and even qualified as loyalty. Royalty, I should say. She became a royal city and was the home of David's dynasty of kings. Verse 14. Your fame went out among the nations because of your beauty. For all of it was perfect through my splendor, which I bestowed upon you, says the Lord. Other nations even commented on her beauty, since it was extraordinary. Now, had Ezekiel uh, parable ended here, it would have a beautiful rags-to-riches love story. She started as an unwanted baby thrown into the field, but she went from rags to riches. But he adds a twist to make the story corresponding to the remainder of Jerusalem's history. He then pictures the unfaithfulness of this woman who was made a queen. Notice carefully. Beginning in verse 15, we're talking about the prostitution of Jerusalem. Look at verse 15. But you trusted in your own beauty, played the harlot because of your fame, and poured out your harlotry on everyone passing by who would have it. Translated, Jerusalem became unfaithful. She went after people passing by, by remaining uh, unfaithful to the Lord. Under King Solomon, Jerusalem became the greatest city of her day, but Solomon led them into spiritual adultery. She used her fame to become a prostitute. Verse 16, you took some of your garments and adorned micro-colored high places for yourself and played the harlot on them. Such things should not have happened nor be. The blessings God bestowed upon the city were used to worship false gods. Verse 17. You've taken your beautiful jewelry from my gold and my silver which I have given you and you made yourself male images and played the harlot with them. This is really that. <laughs> this is really graphic. Uh, they made a male sex organ out of the gold and silver, and used it to engage in sex. That's exactly what Ezekiel sixteen seventeen is saying. You took your embroidered garments and covered them, and set my oil and my incense before them. The people. In Jerusalem, took the material benefits given by God and made idols out of them. Also my food, which I gave you, the pastry of fine flour and oil and honey, which I fed you and set before them as sweet incense. And so it was, said the Lord God. She fed God's food to idols. Moreover, you took your sons and your daughters whom you bore to me and those you sacrificed to them to be devoured. Were your acts of harlotry 
a small matter that you have slain my children and offered them up by causing them to pass through the fire? This is the ultimate sin of Israel. They went so far as to slay their own children as a sacrifice to idols. And in all your abominations and acts of harlotry, you did not remember the days of your youth when you were naked and bare, struggling in your blood. You forgot your past. You forgot all the blessings that God had bestowed upon you. Someone has said, forgetting God's love is the source of all sin. In 2 Peter chapter 1, Peter says that they were unfruitful because they forgot they had been forgiven. Verse 23, then it was so after all your wickedness, woe, woe to you, says the Lord God, that you also built for yourselves a shrine and made high places for yourself in every street. You built your high places at the head of every road and made your beauty to be abhorred. You offered yourself to everyone who passed by and the multitude of your acts of harlotry. Whew, this is strong. Her harlotry moved from high places to the highways as shrines to foreign gods were erected at every intersection on every street. She prostituted herself to every passerby. Idolatry and prostitution were everywhere. Now keep in mind, we're talking about spiritual prostitution, spiritual unfaithfulness in worshiping idols. You also committed harlotry with the Egyptians and with your very freshly neighbors and increased your acts of harlotry to provoke me to anger. She committed adultery with her lustful neighbors, the Egyptians, and multiplied her instances of harlotry, and all of that just angered the Lord. Behold, therefore, I stretched out my hand against you diminished your allotment and gave you up to the will of those who hate you, the daughters of the Philistines, who were ashamed of your lewd behavior. As punishment, the Lord diminished her support. He also gave her into the hand of the Philistines, who were repulsed by her lewd behavior. You also played the harlot with the Assyrians because you were insatiable. Indeed, you played the harlot with them and still were not satisfied. Again, she played harlotry with the Egyptians and with the Assyrians. Moreover, you multiplied your acts of harlotry as far as the land of Traitor, Chaldea. And then you were not satisfied. So he's just extending all the, you just want, everybody that passed by, you, you, you worship their idols. How degenerate your heart, says the Lord God, seeing that you do these things, the deed of a brazen harlot. Jerusalem was left with a sick heart. She could no longer feel true love. How degenerate your heart. You erected your shrine at the head of every road and built a high place in every street. Yet you were not like a harlot because you scorned payment. Oh, wow. 
She was worse than a prostitute in that she practiced harlotry, adultery, but not because she needed the money. The motive was not money. The problem was her heart. She out-heathened the heathen, one author says. You are an adulterous wife and take strangers instead of your husband. Men make payment to all harlots, but you made your payment to your lovers and hired them to come to you from all around your harlotry. You are the opposite of other women in your harlotry because no one solicited you to be a harlot in that you gave payment, but no payment was given to you. Therefore, you are the opposite. She was worse than a prostitute. She paid her lovers and didn't receive payment. Wow, this is a really vivid passage about sin, unfaithfulness to God. One author has said, uh, analyze the passage we've just looked at, by listing the sins, pride, verse 15, spiritual prostitution, verses 15 to 19, idolatry, 16 to 19, human sacrifice, verses 20 and 21, forgetting God, verse 22, propagating her prostitution, verses 23 to 25, trusting relations uh, with pagan nations, 26 to 29, and a weak will that cast off all moral restraint, verses 30 through 34. So he's simply describing the prostitution, the unfaithfulness, the spiritual idolatry of Jerusalem. Now, so far we've seen two parts to this passage. He starts out talking about the fact that Jerusalem was born an unwanted child. He took care of her. She grew to a beautiful woman. He loved her, provided for her. But the second part of the passage is she became unfaithful to him. She served idols. Now, the next part of the passage is judgment. It says in verse 33, And now, O harlot, hear the word of the Lord. Thus saith the Lord God, because you are filthiness has poured out and your nakedness uncovered in your harlotry with your lovers and with all your abominable idols and because of the blood of your children which you have given to them. Surely, therefore, I will gather all your lovers with whom you take pleasure, all those you've loved and all those you hated, and I will gather them from all around against you, and I will uncover your nakedness to them, and they may see all your nakedness. Woo! Again, strong stuff. Jerusalem had degenerated from a queen to a tramp. God's judgment on Jerusalem would fit her crime. She had exposed herself to all of her lovers. God would use her lovers to destroy her. Verse 38. And I will judge you as a woman who broke wedlock and shed blood, or shed blood or judged. 
I will bring blood upon you in fury and jealousy. The Mosaic law prescribed the sword in Deuteronomy 13, 15 for idolatry, that is spiritual adultery. And stoning, Leviticus 20, verse 10, for adultery. The Lord would punish Jerusalem severely in his wrath and his jealousy. Look at the end of verse 38. I will bring blood upon you in fury and jealousy. Verse 39. And I will give you into their hand, and they shall throw down your shrines and break up your high places. They shall also strip you of your clothes, take away your beautiful jewelry, and leave you naked and bare. He would turn her over to her lovers who would take from her everything she had, leaving her naked and bare. Remember her original condition. Naked and exiled are basically the same in Hebrew. Exile means them collectively, what nakedness meant to them personally. Verse 40. They shall also bring up an assembly against you, and they shall stone you with stones and thrust you through with their sword. God did use stones and swords as judgment as Jerusalem fell. They shall burn your houses with fire and execute judgment on you in the sight of many women, and I will make you cease playing the harlot, and you shall no longer hire lovers. By the way, the Babylonian captivity did, in fact, uh, burn houses and uh, inflict punishment in the sight of women. So I will lay to rest my fury toward you and my jealousy shall depart from you. I will be quiet and the anger no more. This judgment would satisfy God's anger. Because you did not remember the days of your youth, but agitated me with all these things, surely I also will recompense your deeds with your own head, says the Lord. And you shall not commit lewdness in addition to all your abominations. The root cause of Jerusalem's sin was her failure to remember the days of her youth. She forgot she was forgiven, to use Peter's expression. God's judgment on Jerusalem would finally put a stop to her prostitution. Now, beginning in verse 44, he's going to talk about the depravity of Jerusalem. He says, indeed, everyone who quotes Proverbs will use this proverb against you, like mother, like daughter. The traits of the parents were seen in the child. In the first part of Ezekiel's parable, that is, verses 1 to 43, is an analogy between Jerusalem and an adulterous wife. The second part in verses 44 to 63 is an analogy between Jerusalem and her sister, Samaria and Sodom. If Jerusalem's wicked sister received judgment for their sins, how would Jerusalem, who was even more depraved, hope to escape? So he says in verse 45, You are your mother's daughter, loathing husband and children, and you are the sister of your sisters. Uh, 
who loathed their husbands and children. Your mother was a Hittite and your father an Amorite. Now this goes all back to the beginning of the passage where Jerusalem was not a Hebrew city originally. It was born in Canaan. And he's saying you were born of pagan parents. So Jerusalem inherited the characteristics of her parents and displayed them in her abandoning God and the cruel sacrifice of her children. He says in verse 46, your elder sister is Samaria, that's the capital of the northern kingdom, who dwelt with her daughters to the north of you and your younger sister who dwelt to the south of you was Sodom and her daughters. Wow. Uh, He's simply saying both of these cities were known for their gross sin and divine judgment. You did not walk in their ways nor act according to their abominations, but as if it were too little, you became more corrupt than they all in their ways. As I live, saith the Lord, neither your sister Sodom nor your daughter have done as you and your daughters have done. The depraved worship of the Canaanites had affected all three of these cities. But Jerusalem had become the worst of the lot. That's quite an indictment. Not even Sodom, with its hideous sins, was guilty of some of Jerusalem's lewd ways. I don't recall that they sacrificed their children to idols. Verse 49. Look, this was the iniquity of your system, Sodom. She and her daughters had pride, full of food, and an abundance of idleness. Neither did her strength uh, strengthen the hand of the poor and the needy. Sexual perversion was only one of Sodom's sins. The iniquity of Sodom also included fullness of food and abundance of idleness, but pride was the root sin when her abominations were traced to their source. Verse 50, and they were haughty and committed abominations before me. Therefore, I took them away as I saw fit. Now, in the context, we're talking about Sodom. And they did detestable things before the Lord. Now he's going to talk about Samaria. Verse 51, Samaria did not commit half your sins, but you've multiplied your abominations more than they and have justified your sister by all the abominations which they have done. You were judged, uh, your sisters bear your own shame also because of the sins which you have committed that were more abominable than they. They are more righteous than you. Yes, to be disgraced also and bear your own shame because you justified your sisters. Now, What he's saying in verses 51 and 52 is Samaria was bad, but not half as bad as Jerusalem. In fact, Jerusalem made her wicked sister city look good by comparison. I'm telling you, this is quite the indictment. Think at verse 53. When I bring back their captives, the captives of Sodom and her daughters, and the captives of Samaria and her daughters, then... I will also bring back the captives of your captivity among them that you may bear your own shame and be disgraced by all that you did when you comforted them. 
So having announced the sin of and the judgment on Jerusalem, Ezekiel then announces consoling words to her in verses 53 to 63. Speaking of the restoration of the three sisters, the ultimate restoration of Sodom, Samaria, and Israel will be when the Lord comes back. He says in verse 55, When your sister Sodom and her daughter return to their former state, and Samaria and her daughters return to their former state, then you and your daughters will return to their former state. Wow! Verse 53 describes the restoration of these cities. 53 through 55 have been used by cultists to teach the Doctrine that everybody will ultimately be saved. God is not talking about uh, the resurrection of the wicked to eternal life. In both instances, he's talking about the restoration of a city or a nation which has no reference to the people who lived there years ago. It's the cities that will be restored. Verse 56, For your city Sodom, Was not a byword in your mouth in the days of your pride before your wickedness was uncovered? It was like the time of the reproach of the daughters of Syria and all those around her and of the daughters of the Philistines who despised you everywhere. After her exposure, Jerusalem would be the object of derision by the surrounding nations. You have paid for your lewdness And your abominations, says the Lord. The Babylonian threat to destroy them completely is what this is referring to. Thus says the Lord God, I will deal with you as you have done. You despise the oath by breaking the covenant. God promised to deal with them as they had dealt with him. They despised the covenant and he would despise them. Now, Interestingly enough, this passage has one more point. In verses 60 to 63, he talks about the restoration of Jerusalem. Nevertheless, verse 60, I will remember my covenant with you in the days of your youth. I will establish an everlasting covenant with you. Remember his promise in the Abrahamic covenant? and establish a new everlasting covenant with the people in the future. Look at verse 61. Then you will remember your ways and be ashamed. Then you will receive your older and younger sisters. For I will give them to you for daughters, not because of my covenant with you. In the far distant future, when the other cities of Canaan would come under Israel's authority, the Israelites would remember their sinful ways and would feel ashamed. And I will establish my covenant with you, verse 62. Then you will know that I am the Lord, that you remembered and be ashamed and open your mouth anymore because of your shame when I provide you with an atonement for what you have done, says the Lord God. In the future kingdom, when God establishes the new covenant and restores Jerusalem, she will know that the Lord is God, that God is the Lord. 
Jerusalem's problem has been that she forgot her past deeds. That was stated in verse 43. But God's final covenant will correct her problem of spiritual amnesia. One author has said John Newton was right when he wrote that the bright glories of God's grace above all his wonders shine. Long chapter, 63 verses. What's the point? Well, to sum up the whole chapter, I would say although she started out beautiful and privileged, Jerusalem was judged by God with destruction and death because of her spiritual unfaithfulness. But she and other cities will ultimately be restored. Someone has written, Jerusalem was unlike the usual harlot and that she hired others to sin with her who would do something like that. It is possible that the harlot would pay them. Is it possible that the harlot would pay the man? That she would give her precious possessions away? And yet, many who say they follow the Lord give up their precious rewards and inheritance. They spend their money and time on worldly pleasure instead of laying up treasure in heaven. They compromise with the world and lose eternal reward and blessing. This is called spiritual adultery. And whoever is engaged in it pays a high price. What a chapter. We start out forgiven, cleansed, perfect in Christ, blessed with all spiritual blessings. And some believers are unfaithful and unfruitful. There's discipline in this life and loss of reward in the next. I want to close with a statement from Dr. McGee. He says, and I quote, I think the application in our lives is quite obvious. You and I have a pretty bad background. Even if your ancestors did come over on the Mayflower, they were just a bunch of sinners saved by grace. That is our origin, our background. We were dead in trespasses and sin. Now, the reason I ended with that quote is that's what we need to remember because that's what Israel forgot and led them into sin. But remember from whence you came. Be grateful and be fruitful. Father, thanks for giving us the opportunity to be faithful and fruitful and for this reminder of what it's like to be unfaithful and unfruitful. In Jesus' name, amen.